So it's now legal in all states and territories of Australia to prescribe and use cannabis for medicinal purposes. But that doesn't mean GPs are now doling out weed to their patients. First of all, it's marijuana, yes, but not as you know it. And secondly, there's so much red tape, a lot of doctors just don't want to go there. It's not like you can just legislate change and snap your fingers. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's really great to have with us from the sunny Gold Coast, journalist Suvi Mahonen and general practitioner Dr. Mark Jeffries. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thank you so much, Kent, for having us on, on your program to talk about this issue because it, it is a really important issue and I think the crux of this issue is that there are genuinely people out there that could benefit from medicinal cannabis. So it's a, a really good chance to try and give some information to the public and really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, many people who are listening to this and who also who, who read your article, Suvi, may not realise that it's actually now legal in Australia for medical doctors to prescribe cannabis. How did this come about? Can you give us a, like, a little sort of history in a nutshell? Yeah, well, it's um, what people don't really realise is that it's actually been legal in Australia technically since 1989 to prescribe medicinal cannabis. Mm-hmm. But in practice, this was virtually impossible to do because all forms of the drug, all forms of marijuana were classified as Schedule 9, which is a prohibited substance by yeah. the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So um, only very few applications were approved and it was a long convoluted process. But things changed in 2016 Mm -hmm. when the federal government with bipartisan support made amendments to the Narcotics Drug Act of 1967 and this allowed the Department of Health to regulate the cultivation of cannabis for medicinal and scientific use. Then the following month, the Therapeutic Goods Order Number 93 came into effect. So that set out the standards for medicinal marijuana and then in November 2016, the drug was downscheduled from Schedule 9, which was a prohibited to Schedule 8, which is a control drug. So okay. as it stands, yes, it is, it is legal to prescribe it, but very, very difficult still in practice, mm-hmm. even with these changes in place. Okay. So can you tell me, please, uh, Dr. Mark Jeffrey, um, what kinds of medical conditions respond well to medicinal cannabis and, and how is it administered? Because I know in, in our article, like I had to talk to our designers because when they were sort of mocking up this article, they had a picture of a, a big sort of marijuana joint there on the front, <laughs> at the front spread of the article I said, no, I'm pretty sure that's not the way that, that it's administered. So, so tell us about the medical side of prescribing marijuana. Could Who does it help? Could you some of the things that it's been used for? Mm. Intractable headaches cancer mm. pain, nerve pain, muscle spasms, spasticity, in some cases reports of glaucoma, mm-hmm. obviously nausea from cancer chemotherapy, poor appetite, weight loss caused by chronic illnesses, cancer, mm-hmm. maybe HIV, Crohn's disease, it's been used in post-traumatic stress disorder, and then of course the area where a lot of work has been done is in intractable seizures, particularly children which are unresponsive to normal anticonvulsants. So perhaps the biggest need really where we need to use it is more in nerve pain. It's not really Mm. so much for mechanical pain. So in other words, osteoarthritis is more for nerve-related pain. Okay. So... 
like I mentioned, uh, certain new, uh, nerve conditions in diabetes, neuropathies, pinched nerves with referred pain down the arm or some uh, kind of other neuropathy, particularly in the older patients. Okay. Uh, they get a degenerative neuropathy. All right. Now, Dr. Mark Jeffrey, I've also heard cannabis being suggested might be helpful for um, multiple sclerosis or, or epilepsy. Is I mean, multiple sclerosis is a nerve condition, so that could be related to some of the other conditions you're talking about. But epilepsy too, is, is this something you're aware of? Epilepsy, more in the particular types of epilepsy, which are very difficult to treat, though it's useful there. Yeah, you, uh, you mentioned seizures, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of trials happening, or well, there are trials happening in, uh, in Australia at the moment with mm. cannabis and epilepsy. Okay, so in, in your clinical experience, what medical conditions have you seen respond well to medicinal cannabis? Well, that's where the problem comes in. It's the entry point into prescribing medicinal cannabis is very onerous, very complex. Mm. And in Queensland anyway, I don't know what it's like in New South Wales, mm -hmm. but it's not an easy process. And mm. The nature of the conditions, and often you have to get a specialist mm. to support you as a GP to prescribe this, and that can also be very difficult okay. to do. So the entry point into using this drug, which really is... If you don't have the THC component in it and you have what we call just the CBD component, mm. it's really like Panadol in terms of its potency. But it just the way these drugs, where medicinal marijuana works, particularly the CBD, mm. is it works on, on your own receptors, mm -hmm. which we call the endocannabinoid system, and your own immune system to have an effect. But it certainly is not a, an equivalent, equipotent dose to, say, morphine or anything like that. It would be more mm, along the lines mm. of CBD being equivalent to, to paracetamol. THC is the psychotropic component mm. from the cannabis sativa plant, and that what's useful in epilepsy uh, as well with the CBD. So it depends on how you how you combine the products for what you want. If you want if you're using it for pain for instance and you want to give some sedation at night time you would add some THC to the product and you'd also have some CBD during the day. Okay. The question you it was a question you just asked about the, the way it can be administered. It can be administered in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. It can be administered in drops can be administered sublingual, it can be administered in a vapour, mm -hmm. so a bit like a cigarette pen, you just vaporise it and inhale it. Oh, okay, and, uh, and sublingual means under the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of hemp products now are being used in conditions like psoriasis as well, I didn't mention that earlier, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. acne. Oh, okay, uh, so skin conditions. anti-inflammatory as well, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So have you jumped through all those hoops in order to prescribe, or, or are there you know, fellow GPs in, in your part of the world there who actually are using this, and are they seeing positive effects? We, 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 we've tried to do it a few times, and it's just, in the end, it's become too onerous for us to do it. Hmm. There's a lot of application, a lot of paperwork to submit to the medicinal cannabis team and then the the issue is is that some of these drugs need to be some are available uh, some older type drugs are available mm. but the often you are applying for a specific drug to come in through what they call the special access scheme which is a scheme that you for the government where you you apply for these products and then also the TGA approval so 
in, in terms of local growers and, and that and that and accessing that, it's the the issue really comes down at the end of the day, pure and simply to the entry point. It's just it's just a bit too hard at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. And if and it was just GPs that could prescribe the drug, which I believe it should, mm. then it would be easy. Mm. But fortunately, that's not the current regulatory requirement, so we just have to abide by that. Okay. Now, of course, what what you're saying is in a context of, of a time when we're hearing a lot of, of concern coming from medical authorities and, and other commentators about the opioid crisis that we have in Australia. You know, there are you know, various forms of, I guess, people know things like Panadine, you know, Forte and, and things like that, that that are being abused and are being used uh, in, in because of basic their addictive qualities. Is, is this sort of issue of you know chronic pain and opioid crises does that lie at the bottom of of your frustration with not being able to access an alternative therapy like medicinal cannabis i think in some cases where they've got neuropathic pain definitely mm. you know i mean i think they would either relate to a dose reduction in, in what they're taking but mm. equally if your patients have this neuropathic pain or concussion headaches or any of these or you know, a bit of anxiety associated with that, often the medicinal marijuana is a useful entry point because it's very safe. You can't overdose with medicinal marijuana. That's the key difference. There are no respiratory depressant receptors that the marijuana can combine, mm. you know, sort of bind to. You'd have to smoke literally, um, you know, 88 kilogram washing machines to overdose with medicinal marijuana, whereas wow. with, with, with morphine in a nightclub or an 80 milligram Oxycontin, mm. it can be enough to, to make somebody have a respiratory arrest. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Medicinal marijuana is incredibly safe and mm. there's no respiratory uh, depressant effects from it and there's probably less side effects in yeah, pits as well. Well, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned side effects because I, I guess here we sort of start crossing the the line into, um, I guess, what we know from people using cannabis recreationally. I mean, we, we know that li- like any drug that that is used, whether it's a you know a, a legally prescribed medicine or a recreational drug, there are side effects, and and cannabis is linked with depression and other mental illnesses, you know, memory problems. I know I've been a probation and parole officer, and I've had clients tell me. Man, I tell you what, marijuana is the worst drug there is. I had one guy tell me just from the effect that it had on his memory, it was terrible. Is it, is it really safe to be used as a medication with those side effects? Yeah, but when you're smoking marijuana, you're smoking the whole spectrum of the cannabis plant. Mm. And, you know, when you're treating with CBD, there's no psychotropic effects from that. And it's mm. the CBD that has some of the analgesic effects mm-hmm. much more and also if you look at doses people might be smoking one to two grams maybe more mm. and it's a thousand to two thousand or three thousand uh, milligrams a day when you're taking cbd you might take 30 milligrams twice a day mm-hmm. and one to two milligrams in an oral spray so the dose is very small in fact the interesting thing with medicinal cannabis is that by ramping up the doses, it doesn't always equate to a beneficial effect. So it's mm-hmm. one of these sort of drugs where, you, you know, you start low and you go slow. Giving yeah. big doses doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get an improvement in a patient's peripheral neuropathy. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. So Suvi, uh, marijuana is obviously the illicit drug of choice, you know, for many Australians. And... And some of this discussion that is being, you know, had around medicinal cannabis is very much influenced by a broader argument uh, of people, you know, by people who want to 
to legalise marijuana for, for recreational use. Do, does this sort of, you know, this drug legalisation discussion sort of complicate the issue when it comes to deciding, you know, should we make medicinal mar- marijuana, you know, easier for doctors to prescribe? I think it does muddy the waters quite a lot, mm. um, but they're, they're completely two different issues. But it's really interesting that you bring this up because actually in Australia we're faced with a massive ice epidemic and mm. young people aren't really turning to marijuana for their high these days. So it's sort of, if people hold this up as, as something like, oh, marijuana is a terrible drug, mm. that, that even, even that argument is starting to fall by the wayside because... Yeah, basically young people aren't really using it anymore and the ironic thing is that marijuana is actually the very least dangerous of all these drugs. People that use marijuana don't generally get violent, they don't generally go out and do crimes, it doesn't destroy your brain systematically like ice does. So in a very ironic way society would actually be better off if those who used harder drugs were using marijuana instead but that's actually not the case. Mm. So even this whole issue about legalising marijuana, yes I do think it does sort of make this a more controversial topic but but look even even that's becoming mm. you know it, it's it's not it's not as big an issue i think yeah. these days with the young young people as well, as perhaps some people might yeah. think it is I, th- I think i'd like to just pull you up a little bit on something you, you said there suvi that it yeah. doesn't it doesn't affect the brain because i'm pretty sure the evidence is in and it's very clear that use of marijuana under the age of 25 when the brain is still developing does actually have a like it inhibits proper brain development. Right. I, th- I think that's pretty clear from the evidence. Yeah, look, nobody's saying that marijuana sh- should be, I mean, you know, a-, a drug that people use a lot of. But it's it's just funny to think that, you know, like alcohol has been shown to be very damaging. Cigarettes actually kill people. Yeah. Yes, there are effects from marijuana. So all I'm saying is that, yeah, I'm not advocating that it's a drug, but all I'm saying is that on if you're going to use a drug, and let's face it, young people are going to use Use drug like they're, mm. they're, you know in our society we're just faced with everything ice alcohol cigarettes everything so if someone is going to use something and if someone is going to use something they're going to pick something if mm. they picked marijuana they would be better off than probably any of the other drugs that they would use okay. but but they're not picking marijuana really okay. um, anymore. So, no, okay, yeah. so so Suvi, it's, I think it's it'll be pretty clear to our listeners that you're uh, you're an advocate of, of medicinal marijuana. You'd like to see it more more available to patients, you know, who have chronic pain and other issues. But your article mentioned some researchers and medicos and other experts, including you know chronic pain experts who yeah. had who had quite different views on the effectiveness of cannabis. And and in fact, in in reaction to your article, I, I had a um, some contact from someone who said, you know, my, my husband's a GP and, and he's really happy about these restrictions because he believes it's not effective at all. So there, yeah. there, there is a range of opinion about that amongst the experts. Even though you're, you're keen and, and in support of medicinal cannabis, can, can we trust you to, to give a, an account of what the critics are saying? Yeah, well, that's right. The problem with this is that it's still in its infancy, right? The trials do give mixed results, and that's because medicinal cannabis can be used for such a massive range of things, and so when they do trials, it is hard to get the exact dose, the exact mm. formula for the for the right condition. But it's very interesting that, yes, some studies have come through saying that, oh, marijuana isn't good for pain, but when you actually analyse the studies, they're actually studying marijuana, which, like Dr Jeffrey said, it gives you the full effect of whatever the plant has. Mm. They're not actually looking at the distilled 
properties that make up the medicine. Mm. So, yes, I do quote in my article um, a pain specialist, Dr. Chris Hayes. He does say that about 20% of his pain clinic patients are using illicit cannabis, or he mm. estimates about 20% are so, using so Self-medicating, as, as they often say. Yeah, self-medicating, yeah. And his clinical impression is that it works poorly, but that's the whole point. They're using marijuana. They're not using medicinal marijuana. And it's sort of, you know, like when you look at the cannabinoid oil that's been distilled that doesn't even have THC in it. Mm. So it doesn't even have any psychotropic effects, you know. So, so if it's a medicine that genuinely helps people, mm. and it has been shown to help people, like, you know, I was speaking to you earlier, I remember um, I spoke to this, this young man's mother, Lene Carter, her son has got a brain tumour and epilepsy mm. and they can't get the right strength of the cannabinoid oil that they need in Australia. He went to Canada, um, he went to America, sorry, got the right strength that he needed. His tumour shrank by seven millimetres, came back to Australia, couldn't get the drug, his tumour began to grow again. So, mm. yes, there's a lot we don't know about it, but it has been shown to help some people. So mm. It, mm. it could be a viable option for some people okay. and a safer option too. All right. I'd, I'd be really interested to hear what, what Dr. Dr. Um, Dr. Mark ha- has to say ab- yep. about this, you know, the fact that the research is inconclusive at this stage. There are there are pros, there are cons, there are people in, in, in favour and, and against medicinal cannabis. Uh, what's, what's your view on the research, Dr. Mark Jeffrey? Globally, there's a huge amount of work being done, especially in Europe now. I mm-hmm. mean, if you look at the health benefits of, of THC, patients that are uh, cancer sufferers increase appetite and weight gain. CV mentioned the brain tumor. I'm not saying mm-hmm. this is a chemotherapy agent, but it does show some what we call apoptosis, which is the program cell death uh, in cancer. Mm-hmm. It helps with nausea, spasticity, and movement disorders. So maybe Parkinson's is another really good one that was useful. Mm-hmm. Maybe spasticity with multiple sclerosis, and then possibly even maybe some of your your, your cerebral palsies. Mm-hmm. But is is the evidence clear of that? medicinal cannabis is actually effective or is these one of the is this one of these things where more research really needs to be done because sometimes you know you can have some interesting sort of preliminary results on on rat studies or or small human trials or whatever but i mean is anyone actually doing sort of these big sort of meta-analysis sort of studies where we can start to say yes the evidence is crystal clear where is the research up to like yeah certainly in peripheral neuropathy that appears the case at the randomized controlled study it's probably not as effective, like I said, in mechanical pain. In terms of dosage reduction of opiates, patients that have CBD, they haven't done any sort of specifically uh, huge randomized control trials. It's just more anecdotal data, so dose mm-hmm. reduction. But, you know, the, 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 the pharmacology, the, you know, I think I think we have to remember that this, this, this drug is re- more, uh, it's a natural type of product. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. It's a mm. holistic treatment more than anything else. The health benefits of CBD on its own are that it doesn't doesn't have any psychoactive effects. It's anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, antioxidant. It's anxiolytic, which is particularly good in, in people that have concussions. It's anti-seizure. Mm-hmm. may have some effect on on, on programs like that. So. It's very safe with very little toxic effects. There's little, there's limited data at the moment on, on optimal dosing, but then there's a huge amount of products out there and there's probably a limited number of human studies out there at the moment. Mm. So I think it's a product that's exploding with research. I think in, in, in you know, certainly in palliative medicine, it's, it can be useful. 
and in neuropathic pain and epilepsy. There's no question epilepsy, the studies have now shown that it is conclusively for a particular type of epilepsy, that it is an effective treatment. Mm-hmm. They're going, that's a, the, what they call the lennox Gastaut epilepsy, but they're going on to look at other epilepsies that are recalcitrant as well. Mm. So... You know, it comes back down that this is a drug that is a CBD I'm referring to, that is a bit like Panadol. Mm. It has some analgesic effects and anxiolytic effects, anti-inflammatory effects, as well as some effects on nerves for neuropathy. So you're convinced... How you, how you go and tie all of these studies, I think yeah. where you're going to come into difficulty with medicinal cannabis is that this is not a new drug. This is not an expensive drug to make, to molecularly, you know, form, you mm. know, like some of the newer drugs that we see where pharmaceutical companies have invested billions of dollars and obviously need to get their drugs over the line. Mm. You're going to get some studies done with, with, with medicinal cannabis, but there's no drive by the pharmaceutical companies to bring out this new drug because it's a old drug it's been around for decades and mm. it's been used for, for a lot of medicinal reasons and I think sometimes we lose sight of that and yeah. I think it's it's use in, in medicine is in especially in general practice land is that it could fill a useful place in analgesia mm. it may reduce us prescribing yeah. opiates and it may have a lot of use in patients that have nerve pain and also in cancer where they've lost a lot of weight so you don't need to particularly bring out uh, or target this drug as being absolutely unique. I don't think mm. that's the way it needs to be seen. It's, it's a natural therapy with holistic properties and in the right indications and the right doses, which will need to be established. But remember, there's so many people making these drugs now. Mm. And that's the other issue we're finding. And I'll just touch very briefly on that is the cost of these products are quite expensive at the mm. moment. Mm. And I think that is a limiting factor for pensioners. Okay. You know, we don't have this drug on the PBS. Two, three hundred dollars a month sometimes for these products is way too much. Mm-hmm. So how many people actually end up on this drug, I think is going to be limited by the current cost of it as well. Okay. okay. So Suvi, you've actually been talking to some of these people who, who are like growing or, or preparing, uh, producing medicinal cannabis. You know, Dr. Mark was just saying it's actually quite prohibitively expensive. What has been your experience in talking to people like that? Like what, what drives them and, and where do you think that industry is going yeah it's it is very expensive i guess i just want to talk about the the growers and the um and the producers of medicinal cannabis you know the people you've spoken to what's what's driving them what's their motivation well you know they're actually really passionate like the the young man that's in my article victor caprio Mm -hmm. his father actually died from an opiate overdose in canada Mm. and he was in a lot of pain he had back pain And over there, cannabis was just becoming legal in Canada at the time, but it was, it was like Australia basically. So when, when Victor's father injured himself, a friend of his actually gave him marijuana to try Mm. and he used marijuana and found that it was helpful for his pain. Mm. This this is just the the illicit smoked version, I assume? Yes, the illicit smoked version, yes. So he he was actually smoking marijuana, yes. Mm. But he did find it helpful. And at that point, Canada was like Australia is now. So it was just being legalised in in Canada, but it was very difficult to prescribe. So Victor's father tried to get doctors to prescribe medicinal cannabis. It was too difficult, like it is at the moment in Australia. Mm -hmm. He was given opiates. 
he became addicted to opiates, really suffered badly from depression, a lot of headaches, a lot of health problems, and he ended up dying from a, a heart attack very young. And so Victor's actually really passionate from, from that standpoint, mm. that, that he sees that this is something that could help people and he wants to genuinely help people get access to this pain relief. So actually, people on the ground that are working in this are actually really passionate about this field and, and actually passionate about making a difference and helping those people that really need it. So, Mark, do you see any um, any light on the horizon when it comes to how regulations might be changing in the future or how prescribing medicinal cannabis might be easier for GPs in the future or is we pretty much stuck right now? No, I think we're stuck. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pity. So, I mean, the, prob- the problem is, is that a GP can write Oxycontin, which is a schedulate morphine. Yep. yep. Okay. And yet if you want to write CBD, which is like Panadol, mm-hmm. we can't. Yeah. Okay. So now a lot of the regulations to have relates to the implication of having THC in the product. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, I think a lot of uh, GPs could certainly be prescribing CBD in various mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So it is, a, it is a THC component, which mm-hmm. is the psychoactive component. But like I said to you, the doses are incredibly low with these mm-hmm. types of drugs. And the other issue that I have to raise is that the current suppression at the moment by that's causing doctors not to be able to prescribe this is creating a huge underground demand Mm. through other organizations that are well known Mm. where people are phoning up and getting medical advice to treat their cancers and whatever Mm. And getting their, their products and that product, that medicinal product of CBD or THC paste or whatever is being shipped to them. Mm. So there is tremendous hypocrisy mm. at the moment, the way that I see it, that on the one hand you're allowing, it, it's, it, there are organizations that are allowed to supply this underground, so to speak, and it's not just uh, particular ones down south, but mm. there's also a lot that's happening underground through Facebook groups, so on and so forth. Mm. So, you know, I just think that at the end of the day, that's wrong. You need to level the playing fields. You can't have people phoning up and getting their cannabis Mm. Okay. With so, their medical problems, and then the poor GP's got to go and submit all this paperwork to do it technically legally. Because if you do it legally, then it protects the patient. Yeah. You know, if they're caught driving, they've got a legal form to say, "My doctor prescribed this." Whereas if they get it yep. from somewhere else, then the you know, then they could be in trouble. Yeah. Okay. That that yeah. to me is is a fundamental issue that should be resolved by the government. Yeah, absolutely. So in the meantime, if we have yeah. a, a listener. Who who's listened to this thinking, hey, I wonder if, if medicinal cannabis might be worthwhile exploring for, for my medical condition. What should they do? Should, should they approach their GP? I think at the moment, until such time as the, uh, until such time as the uh, entry point into medicinal cannabis is smoother and easier, mm. you're not going to find GPs willing to look at this at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, it's just too hard. Yeah. And so those patients will likely be diverted to an underground mm so to speak, uh, source. Yeah, not, n- so, not by their GP, yeah. I assume, but they will begin to make, make their own inquiries, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Well, that's a, not, not a very satisfactory way to, to end our interview and not a very satisfactory way for, for that patient to end up, I guess. But, but we do thank you so much for your time, uh, Dr. Mark Jeffrey. 
Yeah, all right. Thanks for that. And thanks to you so much, uh, C.V. Mahonen, for being a part of Signs of the Times Radio today. Oh, thank you so much, Kent, for having us and for um, helping to inform the public about this really important issue. Really appreciate your time. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. 